Hi, my name is Nico Heller. Uh, welcome to Reboot 2030, the Democracy School's YouTube channel. My guest today is Elena Reitzel Anderson. Elena is an economist, a futurist, and a building activist. What exactly that is, we will we'll come to during the, the dialogue. She just finished her 20th book, uh, a book on libertism, not liberalism, libertism, uh, which is out in June. She's the co-founder and the president of Nordic Bildung, which is a Copenhagen-based think tank, and she's a full member of the Club of Rome. Now, without much ado, let me just invite her in. I can see her already here in the, uh, in the waiting room. Hi, Lena. <laughs> How are you? Good to see you. Oh, I have no sound, I think. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly well. I cannot hear you, so... Um, you cannot hear me? Can you try and say no. something? Why well, I should be there. Can you not hear me? You probably should. Huh. Did you turn on your sound? Oh, wow. I may have to log out and come back in. Okay, please do that. So, uh, see you in a second. I'll see you in a second. <laughs> okay, let me say a few words about, about Lena. She, uh, she set up a think tank called Nordic Building and prior to that wrote a book, I believe prior to that, or alongside that, uh, wrote a book, uh, Keep Growing, uh, Build on Keep Growing. And the, uh, the, um, I think the idea behind the book was that we approach education in far too narrow a way that to really, uh, if you like, realize the full potential of who we are as human beings and also to give us that extra leverage in terms of doing things that, you know, our confidence or um, our, our, our sense of self wouldn't otherwise allow us uh, to pursue. Uh, we need a kind of a build an educational model, a building model, as she would say, uh, that goes beyond the traditional sort of banking model of education. Um, so now there she is again, and she can explain all of that much better. So let me see whether we are more successful this time. Let's see how this works. Okay. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. So now we're on, huh? Good, excellent. This is so much more fun. <laughs> it is indeed. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, this is the thing with technology. We're totally, totally, you know, hopelessly helpless um, and utterly reliant on the technology gods of this world. Uh, Lena, thank you to be with me again today. It's been a tumultuous and a really quite um, uh, amazing time over the last six months. I, I believe you've been very, very busy. And, uh, and there's a new book coming out by you on libertism. I already kind of sneaked that in as a sort of as a piece of information. Maybe towards the very end of our conversation, you can say a few words about that uh, so that, that you readers know what, what to expect there on, 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 uh, in the future. But today, um, it really is back to where we kind of ended the conversation last time, uh, which is your uh, building rose model. 
Um, uh, and, um, and I think for, for viewers who haven't listened to us before, maybe as a first step, um, just briefly explain what, what you mean by Bildung and what the Bildung rose, I believe it relates to pedals of this, of this, of, of, of this, of yes. this model, uh, what, what, what this means and what it stands for and what its purpose is really. And then as a second step, what I'd like to do is, is sort of start to think about what its applications are, what we can do with this model. But let's start with the model itself so that people know, you know, where you're coming from. Over to you. Good, thank you. So, uh, yeah, Bildung, what is it? Uh, the word build means image and originally in German and originally in uh, the uh, Christian fundamentalist era in the 1600s, right after the Reformation. It meant in the build of Christ. And who, who was this build of Christ? Well, that was the individual person who should develop and become this from person who would uh, think, act, behave, and feel in a certain way in order to be a good Christian. So that was the image of God. Then it became a secular concept in the 1700s. And today in uh, modern German, it basically means education. So it is something that it has to do with our inner maturation, our knowledge and our understanding of the world. And the shortest way that I describe it now is that it is two different kinds of knowledge. The first kind of knowledge is the knowledge that is relatively easy to transfer from person to person. So that can be math and science, or it can be how to bake a bread or cook pasta or something. It doesn't have to be academical knowledge, but it's something that I can share it with you, and then we can see if you learned it and you got it, and, and you can reproduce it. So when, when you talk about that, so just when you talk about that about that aspect of building, are you referring to what Dewey might have called the banking model of building, which is essentially about depositing knowledge in in people? Yeah, and and we can all do that, and and you can do it, you know, with all kinds of stuff. Uh, the other kind of knowledge is the one that is very hard to transfer from person to person, and you barely can do it at all and that is the um so that is what comes from life experience and it's the emotional learning so i mean i can tell you as much as i want about a heartbreak but if you haven't experienced a heartbreak it, it won't make any sense to you and i cannot check if you understood it not until somebody broke your heart then we can like oh that was what it was about um literature uh and other kinds of art can to some extent allow us to feel what other people feel and we can through that uh get experiences and be in places that we've never been before and that we will never go but we can still experience what it's like to be there so that is um the heart to transfer kind of knowledge and we need both of them and the way that i describe it is also that the easily transferable kind of knowledge is where you can expand your horizon in all kinds of directions so it's horizontal knowledge and the other one is the vertical because it's your emotional depth and your moral aspirations and how deeply you can connect to other people to culture to place and to all kinds of stuff and and these two go together and uh, i mean you can have knowledge about everything and be flat as a frisbee and not have any you know deep emotional life or be able to connect with other people or have any moral aspirations at all but you can also be sort of an american football <laughs> where you have a lot of emotional depth and a lot of you know moral uh considerations and behavior but where you do not necessarily know very much i mean uh i think we can all come to think of some uh say um illiterate old uh, grandmother in a village far away from 
uh, city life and who has never left the village, but has a lot of life experience and a lot of knowledge about the people around her and who is the wise old woman that everybody goes to whenever they have a problem. So uh, these two things combined is, is Bildung. So that was, that was the first part of my explanation. The second part is the Bildung Rose. Which Can I just really, just just to um, kind of to, yep. to sort of settle that there's I was just thinking about the notion of gravity, for example, yep. uh, which, which is a, a concept, and and we have in physics we have ways of describing and talking about gravity in terms of in relation to mass and all the rest. So we can we can calculate gravity, we can do things mathematically, computationally around gravity, and we that get, we, we get a certain understanding of that. But I guess until you jump out of an aeroplane or off a cliff, you don't really have that experience. Right, or drop a hammer on your foot or something. Or that, indeed. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. This is a bit like the experience of, you know, when you're like, who, who was it with mass? When, you know, that, you know, when you go into a bathtub and the bathtub sort of like spills over, you know, it's just, yeah. there's certain, so, so there is this kind of what you might call abstract knowledge uh, or, or conceptual knowledge, which book knowledge, whatever you want to call it. And then there is this kind of domain of experiential knowledge, things that you actually have to experience, presumably through your senses, yeah. um, a sensual kind of knowledge. Is that, is that a fair way of distinguishing? Sure. Um, and I would say that's part of building is to have both, uh, because you, you, I mean, exactly. I mean, when you fall out the window, that is when you experience gravity. Or when you go on your bicycle and you, you know, hit a, you know, piece of rock right. in the road and you fly over the, uh, you know, the wheel on the thing. I mean, it's like you, you could actually calculate the trajectory of your of your That's flying right. there, but it wouldn't be the same as knowing how to land without breaking all your your bones in your body. So That's right. uh, so they do go together, but you also have to. And, and that's part of being human. So uh, if, if we want to talk at some point about artificial intelligence, for instance, uh, what will it know about? I mean, it can calculate all kinds of things, but what it means to have a body that needs to interact with the world and what it feels like to hurt your, uh, you know, kick your pinky into a, you know, table or something. It's like, yeah, uh, that takes a physical body and embodiment of your of your uh, cognition. So. Um, so yes, and so so Bildung comes in in both of these kinds of knowledge, and it's the interaction between them. The German philosopher Fichte said that Bildung comes from Anstoß, from pushbacks. So whenever you bump into the world and something happens that you didn't expect, and where you go like, oh, uh, that is that is when Bildung happens, and particularly when you go, oh, what an idiot I've been. That is when Bildung really takes place. So these. Uh, moments of discovery, of surprise, of uh, things weren't the way that I thought they were, and I really have to revise the way that I was thinking, and then maybe I even go so far as to say, why was I thinking the way that I was thinking? Who told me this, and why did I, why did I believe this thing that turned out to be completely either wrong or useless or something like that? So, um, so building is this complex kind of knowledge, and what we're really what we have been focusing on, I won't even say we have been good at it, but what we have been focusing on in our school systems for the past 40 to 50 years is the horizontal kind of knowledge. And I would claim that previous generations, at least in some respects, had more of the vertical kind of knowledge because you had um, practiced aesthetics uh, through religion and uh, a lot of singing and uh, storytelling, biblical stories and so forth in, in education. And so 
you relate it to heritage through the emotional experience of hearing these stories. Uh, I had a history teacher, so that was not biblical, that was just, you know, history, history, uh, who did not have a teacher's education, but he loved history. And so he narrated first, I'm from Denmark, so he narrated the Danish history, that was third grade, and the fourth grade, he narrated European history, and I think in the fifth grade, it was like world history. And uh, from a modern scientific perspective, that is completely, you know, uh, nonsense and wrong, because history does not unfold in a, you know, linear way, and there's all kinds of, you know, ups and downs and pushbacks and power structures and stuff like that. But to uh, an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old mind, that made total sense. And, and it's, it's also a, very reassuring, it's isn't it? History. It, it's also it very reassuring. Great. And this notion of kind yeah. of seamless progress. Right. And, and you, belong, you belong in a chain of events. And uh, not just in a snapshot in time with different power structures and where people are struggling over who can do what, but where... And where things have consequence. I mean, and, and where you are where you are because somebody else did something before that. It's not the same as saying uh, whatever happened was inevitable. Quite the contrary. Anything could have happened. I mean, at whatever point we're in time, it can go in all kinds of directions. But we happen to be in this particular point in time in this way because everything that went before it looked like this. Um, and of so course that... So that was part of, and, and so thereby you, you can actually connect to history when you have this emotional connection and think, oh, that king was a really, you know, he was a bad king or, oh, that was like a, some clever rebels uh, or something like that. So, um, so, so that, is, that is also where Bildung becomes more than just a transfer of, you know, names and dates and, uh, you know, who crossed the Rubicon when with how many elephants or whatever it was. So in a way, I mean, it's, it's interesting, just to just, just a final thought on this historical perspective. I mean, you know, you could, I mean, you know, it's been said that history has been written by the winners, basically the people who kind of came out on top in the end. And in a way, our kind of historical perspectives tell us more about our historians and they tell us about actual events, don't they? Because history is contested and depending on where you are within the, the structure of things, it, it may look very different. It's not necessarily the history of kings and queens that you have experienced. It may have been the history of peasants or the history of slavery, sure. which is a very different history. Um, now, but moving on from, from that, so, so really, so in a way, well, I think what we're sort of saying here is, is that a building is partially about kind of gaining a sort of historical perspective, but more importantly than this, it kind of it grounds us in the here and now because it kind of, in a way, allows us to make these really important connections, yeah. you know, in the here and now between where we are, who we are, and 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 where others are and who others are, and maybe that leads up to this model you have developed on on the building rights. Maybe we can kind of elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. And history is story is part of the of the building rose uh, uh, narrative. So, OK, so I have I mean, I'm just going to, you know, draw it in the air here. So um, <laughs> I, I created this model that is really a, a, a depiction of uh, society. Uh, and the reason why I do not call it the society rose or societal rose is because in order to thrive in your society, you need to know some of all of the stuff that is in this rose. You need to understand your society in order to navigate it safely and to feel a sense of agency and influence and to actually be able to 
grasp and talk about what is going on. So the building rose describes society in seven domains. And the one domain is production. All societies have production of food, shelter, energy, and what you need to survive. Uh, with For that, we uh, use technology. So all societies have technology. It can be a stone axe. It can be a, a 3D printer. I mean, there are all kinds of technology that we use to produce stuff that we need in order to survive and thrive. Um, there is aesthetics. Uh, it's, it's a part of being human that we have a deep need for beauty. So we play music, we sing, we decorate our surroundings, we decorate our bodies. That's probably the earliest part of, of uh, aesthetics. And when we don't have that and when we don't do that, we suffer. I mean, there's something missing. And then all societies have that sort of the middle of the building rows. All societies have power, power structures. Can be people who are in power, it can be institutions, but all societies have some sort of power that regulates what people can do and not do. And uh, eventually, I mean, in the sort of um, extreme case, that may be violence. Um, so uh, if you can't convince people to behave in a certain way or you can't control yourself and you want them to behave in a certain way, you may apply violence if you have the power to do that. Uh, then there is uh, science, which is uh, a modern process. So not all societies have science as institutionalized ways of, of acquiring new knowledge, but all societies have uh, knowledge about their surroundings that match scientific facts. Um, people wouldn't have been able to uh, to survive if they hadn't known which you know plants are poisonous, uh, what uh, what kind of birds you can hunt at what time of year, uh, where the water. I mean, when the rain comes, then we will have to harvest or plant or something like that. So, all societies have um, uh, knowledge and uh, and and. and in the modern world, we have created institutions for it and the process for creating more knowledge and gaining more knowledge. And then uh, all societies have narrative, and that's where we have religion, uh, but also history in the modern sense. So that is where we're telling ourselves who we are and, and what is a good person. And we're all, I mean, we're, we are all convinced that we're the good guys. Uh, and we keep telling stories that confirm that, that we are the good guys. Even, even all the bad guys do that. I doubt that there is any psychopath, dictator, uh, violent creep out there that does not tell him or herself that I'm actually the good person. It's the other people who are wrong. Well, it's, um, it's interesting, you know, that, that whole thing, because I was just thinking that, uh, uh, a bit further, that, that idea. And so when you, when you link it back to learning, the moment, for as long as you think about yourself as the person who is not just good, but also right, um, then you basically, you, you lose the capacity to learn, don't you? Because there's nothing, you know, if you have arrived, you, you're kind of, you're complete. Um, so, um, so, so in a way, kind of a learning model always requires that we kind of begin to accept that maybe we have made th got things wrong. Maybe we have made mistakes. It could be we that I don't know perfect. everything. I know it's it's a it's a hard you know realization to have. But I think I mean, children are born, uh, you know, like sponges to taking in input and trying to find patterns in it. And as soon as they have found some patterns and they begin to realize that they are in the world, there is something inside me that is me. Um, 
they also want to be good persons and they really want, you know, the praise from their parents for doing the right thing. Given that they're three years old and don't understand very much, uh, their attempts at doing the right thing very often fails. And as adults, we then think they're naughty or, you know, doing it in order to, you know, annoy us, but really they're doing their best uh, and fail like we do, um, but <laughs> to do that at, at a different level. Plus as the adult, you have the responsibility for them while they do it. So it's different, but uh, they really want to be, be good and they want to show that they're good. Um, and uh, they want to, to grasp the world and understand it. And they, um, and they really do their best. And they also want to, um, from around the age of five, uh, have friends and be good friends and be able to, and that's really crucial, be able to construct along with other children, peer groups where they can play and trust each other and be friends. So there are a lot of social skills, and this is really also part of the building, uh, that you have this emotional development, and that is why I, I describe this vertical part. But with regard to narrative, children also want to know where they belong. And for a while, the biggest entity that they can identify with is, is mom and dad or the family that they're born into. Um, and then it becomes the peer group. And then eventually it becomes the local community. And then it's like, but, and then it's a country. And there's like, so, so, are we the Danes or are we the Germans? Are, 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 is, is our family the same as the other family? They, they really try to figure out what are the patterns and who belongs where, who can I trust where, uh, who am I? And then of course we struggle with that throughout life, um, but it takes different forms uh, in childhood and in adulthood. But the, the stories about who we are and the narratives about who is a good person these are the stories that we keep telling ourselves and we do it with uh, movies. We do it with literature in the public sphere, but we also do it with our own, you know, inner voice telling ourselves that the, the reason why I ate this cake that I had told myself that I shouldn't eat was because I really deserved it. I mean, I have been working so hard, so I deserved that cake and it was, I was a better person for eating the cake. Um, or whatever it is that you do that you really didn't want to do, but you were masters at, you know, self-deception and creating these stories about why we did what we did. And so narrative is a crucial part of society. And of course, at the societal level, it is the, you know, um, very often religion, but it can be all the other myths and it's history about where our country or local community came from, who, who established this city, for instance, things like that. And then we have uh, ethics as the seventh domain in the uh, building rows. And uh, the, re the, the way that I distinguish between ethics and morals in the building rows is that uh, moral values are, um, are telling us how to behave in familiar situations and it's the moral values that are embedded in our stories so that is where we keep telling ourselves that what we did was the right thing and the good thing and what i want to do is of course the, the better thing and then ethics are the principles behind the moral values and they give us guidelines or can give us guidelines when we are in situations we've never faced before so now that we're developing artificial intelligence for instance uh, where we uh, are about to create and our people are creating it, uh, autonomous uh, killer drones, uh, also called uh, slaughter bots. Uh, we need our, our ethics to guide 
the legislation, the development of these weapons, and of course, uh, international uh, collaboration to put a ban on them because that would be the ethical thing to do. So, um, so we need the production, the technology, the aesthetics, the power, science, or at least scientific knowledge uh, and narrative about who we are to keep us together also as a society. That's how we create trust in society. And then ethics to have sort of principles behind all of it that we can consult whenever we're too confused about what on earth is going on. And so I claim that all societies have all these seven domains and in order for society to thrive, they need to be in balance. Um, and we need to uh, pursue all of them. We need to practice all of them in order for society to thrive and be able to develop peacefully. And in order for us to do that, uh, we need as individuals to understand some of all of it. And we need to have a language for it. And we need to educate uh, each other. And we also need to be individually curious about so uh, what goes on in the arts. Uh, can I learn more about history uh, when we see, for instance, a war in Ukraine? Um, what was it about Russia that I did not know? What was it about Ukraine that I did not know? In order to be able to follow the news, I need to read up on that because suddenly my, my sphere of uh, not necessarily influence, but definitely influence on my life requires that in order for me to relate to that and not just be completely confused, I need to go looking for new information and a new knowledge about history and also power structures. Um, so, uh, so that is that is the building rose, and um, and it is. It's a. I, I developed the model over several years. It has had a couple of names in in the process, and some of the domains, particularly the one about aesthetics. Um, I when I first created the model, I called it entertainment, uh, but I realized that it was it was more. It had you know much deeper. Um, implications than, than just entertainment, but it has both the entertainment, the arts, and the avant-garde art um, in the aesthetics. So, beauty. Um, and um, I, I can't prove, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's almost like a game. Uh, I mean, I constructed the model and I claim that it's a lens through which you can look at any society and see if it is in balance. But how do, how do you um, how do you measure if you have all of it? And how do you measure if it is actually balanced? Um, I have not figured that out. And, um, and so in that respect, it's not a, a scientific, uh, it, you could call it a, a visual narrative. Um, um, and I mean, sort of at a comparative level, um, have, you, have you looked at various countries and could you sort of say that certain parts of the world have realized more of this model, implicitly realized uh, more of this model than, than other parts of the world. For example, if you look at say, if you just take two like extremes, like sort of say, indigenous populations versus you know post-industrial uh, populations. If you take uh, communist populations versus sort of like hyper-capitalist populations. If you if you take different kind of sort of opposites or, or kind of sides of the spectrum. Um, where, where do you think this model is realizes itself best or is best placed? I mean, what I, what I would really love to do is to uh, take, for instance, uh, a GDP uh, for a country and say, okay, so if, if we take the different professions and sectors and companies and institutions in the society and, and place them in the different uh, domains, 
Uh, I mean, theaters would obviously go somewhere in aesthetics and narrative. Uh, the tech industry would be somewhere between production and technology, but it would also be in science. And so it would it would take a lot of decision making to say this kind of production or this kind of, of productive activity belongs here uh, to this extent. And then you could see how much money is invested in it and how much uh, output does it create. Um, and then you could, for instance, I mean, there's all kinds of, of surveys of um, uh, human uh, resources, uh, what's it called, cultural capital. There's uh, happiest countries. There are the World Values Survey. There are Good for the World uh, Index. And there is the... Uh, um, uh, I mean, there are uh, all kinds of, of uh, measuring which countries are, are functioning well. Um, so you could see if, if there is a correlation between the high the countries that score high, I mean, happiest peoples are, are also one of them, and the countries where these domains are in balance. Um, if you look at um, the West, the past 30 to 40 years, we have massively invested in production and technology and um, consider aesthetics sort of a nice to have. Uh, politics, uh, power institutions are important, but we're not investing in developing new institutions as we're creating new technologies. Um, so we're struggling with containing global tech companies and their algorithms within legal structures that are national. Uh, we need global structures for that because the algorithms are global. So we have not invested in new political institutions and power institutions that match the investments in technology, for instance. So there's an imbalance. And then there's science for the sake of science, uh, which is also in this uh, tech and production heavy economy, sort of a nice to have. And we have changed our uh, universities from being uh, a national pride in science and new knowledge to becoming these institutions of production value for the, for industry and uh, the humanities are just starved. Uh, and I know in Denmark that uh, there are some of the classical languages, Greek and Persian and stuff like that, uh, where uh, I think they're shutting down the departments, which is a catastrophe because we, we've had some of the world's best uh, researchers in these classical civilizations and languages. And that is, we need that for the narrative. We need that to understand where we're coming from, where, how, how things evolved, where, where things happened first and, and why things look the way that they do. And meanwhile, we have uh, a meaning crisis, a mental health crisis. And duh, of course we do, because we have starved all the meaning making parts of society and just you know, try to get everybody to produce more and, and use more technology. And that is not how humans work. So, so the building rose can be used as a prism to see that. Uh, and, I, and I think that uh, through history, uh, when we look at so which, which uh, clans, which uh, towns and cities, which empires and so forth survived uh, and where were people ready to defend even their ruler uh, their oppressor when uh, when the enemy was uh, hammering down the, the city gates. 
uh, I would I would uh, claim that that is where the building rose was in balance and where people had strong institutions, they had strong rig- uh, religious rituals, they had beauty, they had, um, of course, production enough that everybody uh, was not starving. Um, and there was a sense of, of uh, cohesion within society. And, uh, and when there is not that, that is when society falls apart and you lie open to invaders and, uh, and nobody's willing to uh, defend anybody but themselves. And that's when things collapse. So, um, so that, that is my claim. And I would love to have resources to actually document or falsify that, uh, that you can say something like that. I mean, if it turns out that um, I'm completely wrong, that would, uh, that would be a nice, uh, you know, realization as well. So, so uh, I mean, because the word because the word Bildung uh, and and its close associations with education and 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 also, of course, within that context, schooling and 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 the formal forms of education, uh, right up to university uh, level. Um, what do you? I mean, listening to you. Uh, I get the impression that in, in your way of thinking about Bildung, uh, it's only partially a matter for the formal educational establishment or systems. Uh, it, it is a much broader kind of proposition, if, if I understand you correctly. Um, sure. It's So it's, it, it, as far as I understand, you would embed that, would you have a, a if you had a ministry of Bildung, yeah? Um, yeah um, it, yeah, it's a bit like having sort of a climate change ministry, isn't it? It cuts across yeah. so many different aspects. It's not just about the economy. It's not just about consumption. It's also about who we are and, and so on and so forth um, and our aspirations and, 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 and all the rest. So in a way, building is a bit like that. So if you had a ministry, ministry of building, um, could you just kind of tell me where it would sit um, and, and, and what its remit would be? Oh, that's a really good question. I would love that. Um, or the the EU commissionary for Bildung. That would yeah. be the uh, right. That that would that I think that that should be my uh, that should be my aim in life. Then my goal in life. That should be the EU commissioner for Bildung. If you'd have so, to write yourself a job description for that job, uh, <laughs> Lene, what, what 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 would it encompass? So um, I mean, it would it would be about. Uh, I would definitely, first of all, see if you could actually make that economic, uh, turn it into a, an analytical tool for the economy and see where does the money go and where does the money come from. Uh, but I would also um, implement it in school systems and uh, not me telling people how to do, but invite the teachers and the headmasters and the unions and so forth, the people actually know how to teach and, and ha- handle both you know, children or education for adults and say, um, what would it look like if uh, you got to design a curriculum that balanced these seven domains throughout uh, all the you know uh, kindergarten first through twelfth uh, grade and then into further education. Uh, if if you got you know uh, six months to develop that and we try that for two or three years, uh, we would then. I, I I'm not so much I'm not so fond of, of measurement, but for the uh, learning if a system works or not, I would definitely be willing to uh, measure the. Uh, how well uh, kids and students thrive before such a system, and then, of course, after such a system, and how fast things would change. 
uh, and I would uh, would make sure to gather best practices. And I would do something that is rarely done, which is I would uh, test it out on, I don't know, 50 schools before I would roll it out across either the continent or a country. We had a school reform in Denmark in 2011 or 14. I keep forgetting when it was. And it was just like all schools at you know, simultaneously were to change everything and nobody knew if it would work. The teachers said it won't work. And of course it didn't work. Um, so now we struggle with that. Um, so I, I would, I mean, I would definitely find some some schools that were willing to, to do the experiment and then learn from it and uh, have the people who are gonna work with it, uh, develop it. Uh, I, I wouldn't be the one to do that, but I would, I would love to be the, the ping pong and the, you know, uh, co-creating the the framework i would also um so so like sure I, like that the other that that other ministries and, and commissionaries would define which of these domains are we working in and how are we working in them and are there domains that we do not pay attention to and even if you have a ministry of finance i would say you need to know your story about what it is you're doing why why is what you're doing the morally right thing and the ethical thing and if you can't answer that Go back and figure it out. Um, I can, in my thinking, I can at the moment. I can just to kind of give you a hint where my thinking goes with this. I can instantly pinpoint two departments that my Ministry of Building would have. One would be a department of learning, and the other one would be a department of dynamics um, or maybe systems dynamics. Um, so, so, so these would be two fundamental, and you know, and these departments they would have. They would have. They would reach into uh, not just the educational system, but they would reach into companies. They would reach into very much into the public sector, into local government, also into other government ministries, into central government. They would even reach into the military. They would reach into the police. Um, so you know. So that would be. Um, can you think of in, in in those kind of structural terms? Because what you've described uh, just now is very much about learning, isn't it? Uh, and about the dynamics of learning, how learning in, in your way of thinking takes place and how that form of learning differs uh, from the kind of the traditional sort of like a school of learning or teaching. And uh, I mean, it, it is giving people a framework within uh, to define what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. Because if, if we just measure companies on uh, uh, profit and uh, revenue, if we just measure a country on GDP, we're just gonna get what we measure. And that is what we're getting right now. And people are suffering. If, if we set that, uh, this up as, as the goal for society and, and we did find some key in indicators that would allow us to measure, um, if we're going in the right direction, I would be very careful about measuring too much because once you measure too much, you also limit people's freedom to come up with new thing, new ways of doing things. Uh, there might also be a limit to how often uh, you measure things because in the meantime, people you know are free to to make mistakes mm -hmm. and not be measured. So, so uh, you really have to be careful about that. And, and I think one of the big um, Disasters for our civilization was when somebody invented the spreadsheet because it allows people with a mediocre uh, mind to enter very large numbers into little you know, squares, click enter and think that they know stuff. 
which is a very dangerous thing. So uh, I absolutely love spreadsheets for, for a number of things, but it, they, we give them way too much power. And um, so, so I'll so, uh, be very careful, but I, I, would, I would invite people in different sectors, actually in all seven sectors. And once we speak about it, when we speak about education, education should cover all of them and education should be in all of them. Um, so, so there is not one of the domains that is uh, education. There's also not one of the uh, domains that is the environment. The environment is in all seven of them, or you can understand the environment and sustainability through all different seven, uh, the seven different um, lenses or, or domains. And, and it was what interesting. Is, it was uh, interesting. Environment what you said is, is different. What, yeah. It was interesting what you said about being allowed to, to make mistakes. And I'm just thinking about a third department for our ministry. Um, so the we mistakes have... department. <laughs> would, would you department call it? Department of, of mistakes. And there would be the office of smaller mistakes and the office for huge mistakes. <laughs> and they would have to make so many mistakes a year, wouldn't they? They would have targets. Yes, yes they would have to meet some requirements. We need a, at least 150 mistakes from your office. Otherwise, it's out. That would be so brilliant, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, I see this all the time um, is, is people are really worried about getting things wrong, about making because we're taught, we're taught that this counts against us. This is going to hold us back. Yet it's only through mistakes that we learn, isn't it? So, 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 there... so you can learn without making mistakes, but you definitely uh, can learn a lot from mistakes. Um, and and I really think that uh, the one of our fundamental freedoms is the freedom to make mistakes. Um, and a culture that does not accept mistakes uh, will also not have, uh, you know, freedom, but also not innovation. And you will have uh, people who think along the lines of, but we did not break any rules or but we did not make any mistakes or but we did not do anything wrong. Uh, which means that you're constantly navigating according to what we did not do. Uh, and, and the narrowest uh, definition of what the right kind of action would be. And what you want as a, as a, as a person, as, a, as an institution, as a citizen, as a colleague, as, as, as a leader or as an employee, you want to be surrounded by people who take responsibility because they understand what they're doing and because they want to do the right thing and because they are consider, considerate about what they do about other people and, and about the consequences of what they do. And then from time to time, you actually do want people to break the rules and say, this is a stupid rule. Uh, we're gonna break the rule and then we're gonna report it up through the system and say, we did it differently. Come tell me that that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, and when you have that kind of confidence and you have an organization that allows that, that is when you can actually have um, an agile uh, institution uh, that people talk so much about in leadership training and so forth. And, and that is when you can distribute responsibility to people. And so you don't have to control everything from, uh, from the top. And, uh, and it takes a, a very, and, and that takes building. I mean, it takes the emotional maturity uh, on, on behalf of yourself for daring to, to question the rules and uh, make your own interpretation and stand up for it, even when you made a mistake and say, 
damn it, I misunderstood that, I made a mistake. But it also takes building in the leadership to say, okay, I understand why you did that. Uh, it was a really, really bad decision. And, you know, uh, this whole part of the uh, uh, factory burned down. Uh, we don't want that to happen again. Um, and uh, luckily the insurance company covers for it because it was an honest mistake. But please ask somebody from engineering before you do something similar next time. I mean, you, can, you want people to be able to narrate why they do what they do and 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 to take responsibility for their individual actions and when you have that that is when you can start uh showing trust and when you can have uh an organization and uh collaboration where um where, where you where you're free to share uh, fresh ideas and try out things and ask people for help or guidance and um and where people are willing to also risk uh, sharing their knowledge and also have a culture where people don't see knowledge as, as a limited resource, but something that grows the more that we share it. So, um, so yeah. And, and so that would, that would also be a, a, a so, building thing. And that would be the vertical kind of thing. And you can only build that through a lot of iterations of letting people make their own <laughs> mistakes and have their own successes and learning from that and build upon it. So apart from having written a book about, about these ideas, you've also created a, a global network, um, the, uh, the Global Bildung Network, I believe it's called. Um, and you've had a recent festival, and I believe this is becoming a bit of an institution. I think you probably want to make this an annual or biannual event. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what, you know, how, how, how these people came together and what kind of motivates the network and how you see this moving forward? So it started out as the European Bildung Network and the European Bildung Day on Europe Day uh, in 2019. Um, and, uh, and we do that. So we have a physical gathering somewhere in Europe and two years with COVID, we did it on online, of course, but uh, two weeks ago, uh, we did it in Copenhagen on, uh, on May 9th. Um, and next year we plan to do it in Kiev. So uh, better stop that war and... Um, mm -hmm. We uh, um, have the European Building Network, and that has been there for uh, three and a half years now. Um, and that, is, that grew to 400 people online uh, with a tool that didn't allow them to interact. Now, we found a tool that, that allows them to interact, and there are 100 people in the European Building Network. And the Global Building Network has, uh, I think, 200 uh, members right now online. And we did... Uh, created the Global Building Festival online. Uh, and it'll probably be more logical to call it the Global Building Day because what we're gonna do is to do it twice per year on Equinox when the day has the same length around the globe. We uh, go on Zoom with speakers from around the globe and do a, a tour, a cultural journey around the globe. And in um, September, last year that was the first time we did it and the concept was a bit different because we needed to figure out what we were doing in march we actually started in uh, new zealand with two presentations about maori culture then we uh, went to china and heard about uh, peking opera and tai chi and then we went to asia and had a presentation from india one from afghanistan we went to the middle east and had a presentation about um 
environmentalism based on uh, religious heritage. So the Bible, it was a rabbi. And then uh, he was in a dialogue with uh, uh, Phoebe from Solar Punk. So we, we brought the future perspective together with the, with the you know, Orthodox Jewish, I don't know if he's Orthodox actually, but, but the biblical Jewish perspective on sacred nature and became a really interesting dialogue. Then we went to Africa and um, had a presentation from Cameroon about Ubuntu and initiation rituals. Then we went to Morocco and heard about a community initiative called Tamkin. We went to South Africa and heard about African rhythms that have entered popular music around the globe. And from the of South Africa, Cape Town, we went straight to the northern part of Norway uh, to uh, the Sami Museum, where there uh, is on display a 400-year-old traditional drum from a Sami priest. And Norway was part of Denmark 400 years ago. And so the Danish king did not want these, you know, witch doctors to do their drum magic. So he took away the drum and imprisoned the, the priest. Uh, the priest died, he was 92 years old, but the drum was kept in Copenhagen. And because of the court case, it's one of the most well-described drums. Uh, and it has been on display in the Sama Museum in Northern Norway since 1972. But about six months ago, four months ago, it was officially transferred from the Danish uh, ownership to Norwegian ownership, which was a huge thing for the Sami people. And so we had somebody, uh, actually the director of the museum, tell us about the drum and show us, uh, you know, pictures of the drum. And, and uh, so that was really interesting. And then we had uh, somebody from Denmark talking about spring rituals in Northern Europe. And then we had a bit of Ukrainian history. And then we went to Latin America and heard about the new constitution in Chile, where they're going to include indigenous languages and protect them through the new constitution. We went to Colombia and heard about something called uterus culture, where they do uh, regenerative agriculture and uh, maintenance of ecosystems through a female perspective on, on being. And then we went to North America, heard about the uh, Chautauqua movement, which was an enlightenment and building movement in the US 150 years ago. We heard about female speakers through history. And then we heard about Bildung and the blues from uh, a jazz uh, sax player, a, Bildung, a, a blues, of course, my mistake, not, not jazz, blues sax player. So that was uh, our, our trip around the globe on Equinox. And we're going to do that again in uh, September and hopefully twice a year for as long as Zoom exists. And, um, and we hope to expand it. We hope to have more uh, people participating. And I think now we, we found the sort of the narrative and the, the format that really makes sense. And which is also, I wouldn't say it's simple to... Um, to organize, but it's a lot simpler to just have 24 hours where you have a series of yeah. presentations rather than having parallel workshops and all kinds of stuff going on simultaneously. This is one, you know, journey and we'll- Yeah, um, yeah totally, totally. Yeah, and we also have a lot of breakout sessions where people get to meet. So we actually have people from around the globe who get to meet other people from around the globe and talk about what Brilliant. they just heard. I think this is going to be the future, isn't it? Is that it's blending of, of online and offline and to have a sort of a to have a sort of a unifying kind of digital narrative, yeah. but then to break off from that into very concrete, uh, like face to face uh, yeah. settings. 
Brilliant. So, uh, I mean, what I what I'm sort of thinking is, is this obviously this is this is sort of you've given birth to this kind of, uh, you know, for the lack of a better word, to this to this kind of movement. Um, and uh, and in a way, like any good mother, uh, you you kind of have to at some point kind of let go of it a little bit, don't you, and sort of uh, move, move move on. But for me, the question is twofold. One is to do with um, how we're moving forward with, uh, you know, with uh, sort of Ian Walker with Reboot. I, I, because I think this is an unfinished story. Um, and, and I think um, I would like to follow, you know, this, follow this through with you to see how over the next couple of years or whatever, uh, this, this story of building uh, develops and how this is hopefully going to have. Um, but to do that, it would be really helpful to have some, anchors some so that you know them sort of you know landmarks so that we can say well in a way you know the next six or 12 months you know we are trying to achieve x or y or z and then we can sort of see the kind of a conversation around that and see how easy or difficult it was the kind of resistance you encountered the learning the experiences you had the insights you gained and in that way i think it would chronicle you know this kind of journey in a really quite interesting way so the question is is if we uh, if we are to kind of look you know six months, i kind of this idea like a ministry of building or kind of a directorate of building isn't that something really that could become an interesting is i mean you're saying europe uh, european commission i think this is really because there's a lot of best practice kind of like methodology that could be developed uh, around that. And, and I wonder whether this is a kind of a totally unrealistic ambition or whether you think that this would be something to actually formulate this and so on. Yeah, you know, why not? Let's try over the next 10 years. Um, and we're not gonna stake our lives on it, you know, <laughs> life goes on. So I actually, I, I have one more thing to add to that because uh, right now in Europe we have, uh, the European Parliament, I think it is, who are in Brussels and in Strasbourg, and they travel back and forth because the French couldn't bear that uh, the the main headquarter would be in Belgium and they wouldn't have something in France. And there's this whole, you know, it's also the reason why we're not bilingual and all all speak English in, in the EU so we can actually talk to each other. We have all these different languages, but not one shared language that allows us to have a public sphere among Europeans, which is a disaster. We've united coal and steel for 72 years, but not the people in the, you know, within the within its boundaries. But what I would like to do is to just have that freaking parliament in, in Brussels and keep them there so they can focus on their work and not travel back and forth. And then all those wonderful buildings in uh, Strasbourg, that would be a European building university kind of place where we could bring in people from all over Europe to study and share cultural heritage, science, uh, ethical debates, produce cultural television, produce news. One of the things that we don't have in Europe either is that, I mean, my minister of health and your minister of health and somebody else's minister of health were not interviewed together during the COVID virus to, to you know, compare what is going on. So I had all these stories about what goes on in Denmark and Danish news, and a little bit about Germany, a little bit about Spain and a lot about Italy when it went wrong, but I did not have a conversation among the, you know, health commissionary and the, you know, ministers of, of health in different countries. So if we could use Strasbourg, and by the way, that is where Gutenberg started his printing press. So, I mean, it has all this history and story to it. It's the place to have this sort of hotspot of, of European culture, civilization, thinking, 
future perspectives and, and of course uh, you know this is obviously then my pitch on this you know it should have a democracy school too you know because yeah I, sure you know you know because i think that is um it's it's a funny thing that our politics in a way they've become quite simplistic and black and white through the kind of the populism that has creeped in you know across europe and across the world indeed uh, but but on the other hand our politics have become actually really ever more complex and there's so much paradox and contradiction within that it's there's a comparable time I remember like, you know, I don't remember personally, but going back in history, uh, turn of the 19th century, when the first wave of globalization led to massive factory output of ugly, ugly furniture, ugly, ugly products, because nobody designed the things. There was no art schools. There was no design as a study, as a field of study. Then the Bauhaus came along. Yeah. And within a very short period of time, this became the blueprint for art education and it exploded onto the world stage. And now I don't know how many, I mean, the output of graduates, fine art graduates in the US is greater than the entire population in France in the 16th century annually. So, so we have had this explosion because we had to give things form and shape. And it's almost as if each time sort of gives birth to the institutions that it needs to, uh, to survive. And I think this is partially your argument as well. And I think there are a number of institutions that you will need to, to, to move forward to. And a sort of a unifying, if you like, theory and you, you know, like a building rose model, if you like, that brings those together. I think it's a beautiful idea. Um, are you kind of in any way kind of pursuing this or sort of poking people? I will now. I will now. Among, among all the other activities at, uh, at the Global Building Network and the European Building Network and our office here in Copenhagen called uh, Nordic Building, which is sort of the mothership and uh, the uh, <clears throat> where where things are, are coordinated. Um, I, I think that would actually be... Uh, I, I've written about that the Europe uh, University in Strasbourg uh, elsewhere um but but the idea of a, a eu commissioner for for a building i i hadn't i hadn't thought about that so thank you for uh for um bringing that idea um the aesthetics i mean that is so so you're bringing up two things that we are not investing in right now and one is aesthetics and one of the things that is happening right now is that all kinds of fungus uh mushrooms different kinds of um living organisms are now being turned into furniture and architecture and we're beginning to build uh buildings in wood again so we need uh and we need science for this and there's a lot of science going into that that allows us to create aesthetics out of these living organisms in completely new ways and strasbourg would be a, a great place to to pursue that um and then the political institutions, because we do not have the political institutions to deal with the reality that we're in. I mean, there's, uh, if, if Zuckerberg makes a metaverse, what kind of rights do I have in that? Whatever Zuckerberg give, gives me. And that is not what I want. I want rights that my democracy has defined th through thinking ethically about what it means to be human and what we uh, are supposed to have and do and be able to do in, in cyberspace. So uh, we need to invest in new political institutions and we're not doing that. Um, so I think if, if we could, if we could uh, build such a university school um, college, I don't know what to call it because really it should have, it shouldn't just be an academic place for people who are 
you know, good uh, good at, at uh, sitting on their butt and and reading books um, and having these intellectual fights. It should also be people who are good with uh, working with their hands. I mean, go back to good old Pestalozzi, the head, heart, and hand. Uh, we need all of that, and we need to uh, cultivate all of that, and uh, and that is build them. So, um, and, and of course, such an institution, in my way of thinking, would have to, by definition, be a democratic institution, wouldn't it? So, so, it, um, yes. so what instantly thinks about what kind of democratic institutions do we have um, that, you know, or quasi-democratic institutions, international organizations that are democratizing or have democratized to a certain extent, like the European Union, and to what extent could they provide a model for the kinds of structures that we need, you know, at this at this kind of meta level you're talking about, because it feeds into all of these very other kind of areas, doesn't it? And but it is a meta level that increasingly gains in importance. It's almost like the sort of the operating system. Um, and, and, and we're kind of we have totally neglected that. I think it's a really interesting idea. And maybe when we think of sort of six to twelve, like say like towards the end of the year, maybe that idea in some ways ferments, develops, and might change as well, because you're going to go out and you're going to talk to people and, you know, you know, the way things develop, uh, you know, it, something totally different might come out in that process. But I think there is something that you're pursuing um, that, that kind of, in a way, points in a very interesting direction. Um, so, uh, you know, as a sort of, as, as a kind of, as a, as, as a, as an intention, how about if we said to say, we meet again in say six, seven months, and we kind of, the ambition is to see how that idea has taken shape uh, and, and, and how that idea and how your existing resources, that your global and your European builder networks, uh, your other networks, your other kind of resources, how they possibly gel, come together to sort of support something, you know, like that may quite be quite nebulous at this stage still, but something that we can, that we can begin to move forward. How does that sound? Sounds like a you know great idea. Um, uh, and if I, uh, in the meantime, have become the European Commissioner of uh, Bildung in Strasbourg, I, we will do it there. That's right. And, and surely you're going to kind of commission me to set up a democracy school, no doubt. <laughs> and then we'll find somebody to, to be the director of the Office of Mistakes. <laughs> with the department for mistakes we'll uh, we'll find somebody <laughs> absolutely absolutely lynn thank you very very much it's been a brilliant conversation uh, it's not been thank quite you. what we thought it would be but i think it's been but it, it was good it was very good and it actually had a real interesting result that both resonated with you and me and i think that's always a really positive sign thank you very much for making time we'll stay in touch and in fact if if there's any really exciting things happening in the background do keep me in the loop because I do think you're doing great stuff and I'd love to kind of just, you know, be the fly in the wall and see how things develop. Well, thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.